Masechet Pesachim, Taf 116, uh, we are starting off uh, with the Haroset, uh, which the Mishnah mentioned as a Machloket. The uh, first opinion says um, that Haroset is not a mitzvah. The Be'al Azar Sadok says it is a mitzvah. Uh, so the, according to the first opinion that says it's not a mitzvah, then why do we have to have it if it's not a mitzvah? Uh, he says uh, the first reason is because of that kapa, which we said is something toxic or when a worm that's in the lettuce and by dipping it into the charoset, then that kills the worm. And so it now then it becomes edible. That's why we had charoset. Um, so Rav Aseh just adds that uh, the, the, the toxic or, or bugs that are in um, the, uh, that are in lettuce can be remedied by eating uh, chama, uh, meaning a radish. So, you know, if you want to get rid of the lettuce problem, eat a radish. But the, eating the radish itself, that itself might have something toxin, toxic in it. So the remedy for that is to have karate, uh, leek, like this. Um, and that itself also can have something toxic in it. So for the remedy for that is to have some warm water. Okay, so each one is a remedy for the one before, but can cause another domino problem. Okay, but warm water, that'll solve the problem. In fact, all of them, warm water will uh, will resolve the problem. Okay, one more um, uh, magic formula that uh, if uh, a remedy for all of them, you know, and if you don't have uh, warm water or any of the other things around, then you just say this uh, this incantation, poison, poison, I remember you, and your seven daughters and your eight daughter-in-laws. All right, and next, so there's opinion that says it is in fact a mitzvah, my mitzvah, what? You know, it doesn't say in the Torah anything about this. So what exactly is the mitzvah? We want to remember the apple tree. What, what tapu are we talking about? And so there's referring to a pasuk in Shira Shirim, it says, um, so that says under a tree, under an apple tree, that's where I gave birth to you. And so this is referring to uh, B'nai Israel in Mitzrayim when they were said, you're not allowed to have, uh, you know, the, all the babies. Well, the, the boys will be uh, thrown to the Nile. So they went out and in, in hiding under trees, that's where they gave birth. So to remember that uh, both that persecution and that bravery so we eat something that has apples in it. He says, no, to remember the mortar that the Bnei Sel used in, uh, in building the, uh, the, the pyramids and the, the, the forced building, forced labor for the Egyptians. And so we have something that reminds us of the mortar. And so therefore, when we make it, we have to have something that is tart uh, to remember the apples and uh, something that is thick to remember the mortar. Right, tart to remember the apples and uh, thick to remember the mortar. Uh, so we need ingredients that will make it both of those things. All uh, right. Tanya Kevate, we don't use it, we don't, you know, in our community, we don't use apples, but um, I guess uh, dates is uh, also has a, a similar taste, uh, but certainly it's thick. 
Okay. Tanya kevatehed Rabbi Yochanan, tablin zecher lateben, haroset zecher latit. And so there is an, an opinion, there's a baraita that, that uh, supports Rabbi Yochanan. Uh, Rabbi Yochanan was one that says uh, that it's in memory of the mortar, uh, because it says here that we add in uh, spices to remember the hay, right? Actually, this is one of the inventions of the Egyptians that you didn't make bricks only out of clay, but when you add straw to it, it makes it much stronger. And so, and remember that they had to go out and bring their own straw. So we add in other kinds of spices that are look like straw uh, to remember that. And the charoset itself is for the clay. So you see that this baraita supports it Yochanan. And in fact, the shopkeepers in Jerusalem would say, come and buy spices for the mitzvah. What mitzvah? means to make the haroset. So you see that they use spices in memory of the straw, and that supports that this, is in, this whole thing is in memory of the, of the clay. As uh, as Rabbi Yochanan said, uh, so I suppose in our our haroset that uh, doesn't quite have apples, but uh, does have uh, that thick that thick thick texture is mostly in memory of the clay. All right, and now next Mishnah, Mazgulo Kos Sheni. Oh, good. We had the first uh, cup of wine that was for Kiddush, and we did the Karpas, and now they would pour a second cup. The second cup was unusual to pour now. Generally, if you had a normal meal, you'd have one cup for Kiddush, but then you'd go straight into Hamosi, and maybe you'd drink during Hamosi, and you'd have a cup of wine for Berkat Mazon, but there's no reason to pour a second cup now. So So here is the son would ask the father, right? Um, uh, this this uh, questioning might go on what just happened. He said, hey, why'd you pour a second cup? What's going on? Okay, it also might refer to the following. If the child doesn't know doesn't know how to ask, uh, maybe they're too young or they're not uh, uh, they're not um, uh, their attention is not being drawn to anything. Then the father should prompt him and teach him what to ask. And so now we have the formula uh, that the father will teach the child to ask. Um, uh, or otherwise, I mean, hopefully spontaneously, they may ask these questions. Some people interpret this as a statement of wonderment. Oh, how how different this is this night is from all the other nights. Um, but I think it makes more sense as a question, right? In fact, how is this different? Why is this different, really? Other nights we have we have chametz or matzah, right? We have regular you know bread and we have crackers and things. Um, but today only matzah. Other nights we have all kinds of other vegetables. Tonight we have only maror. This is not exactly true because we actually have any kinds of vegetables. We just had the celery. There's lots of vegetables that we can have during the night. But if you remember the whole discussion before was kind of assuming that you had only lettuce. Maybe it was hard to find other vegetables or they wouldn't normally. Or we can interpret this as on other nights we can eat any vegetables we want. But tonight specifically we need to eat maror in addition to any other vegetables that we have. Okay. We don't have this in our Haggadah, but during the time of the Bet HaMikdash, when they had roasted meat, they would say on all other nights, we have meat prepared in any way, roasted, stewed, cooked, but tonight we have only roasted meat. Now, this is also uh, curious because 
although certainly the Korban Pesach was roasted, but they could have other meat together with the meal, right? It said they should bring other, other dishes. Um, and so they don't have to only have. Uh, so I guess also this sort of mean, it means that on all the nights, you know, we can have any, any, any type of meat, but tonight, in addition to anything else we eat, we have to make sure to eat this, the specific sali. Um, okay, we don't have this question anymore, but instead we have the question about reclining, um, which uh, makes sense uh, now after Roman times. In other words, during Roman times, it wouldn't make sense to ask a question about reclining because whenever they had a nice official meal, they would be reclining. So it wouldn't make sense to say on all the nights. Other nights, also they reclined. I mean, not every day, uh, just a Sunday night dinner, but any other, any other nice meal, they would recline. Uh, so it wouldn't have made sense in Roman times. So after the Bet HaMikdash, uh, when they didn't have Bet Korban Pesach anymore, so that was no longer a question. Instead, reclining is unusual, so that was uh, added in as a replacement. On other nights, we do dip one time, but tonight we dip twice. So uh, we don't say it exactly in this formula, um, but this would also make sense in Roman times when they normally had uh, hors d'oeuvres and they brought vegetables for a dip. So in any normal meal, they would dip once. And tonight we go out of our way to bring out another vegetable and dip a second time. So you see that question makes sense. Okay, this is, we have four questions here, a slightly different than from ours. This is a manuscript of the Mishnah. It's called the Kaufman manuscript of the Mishnah. It's considered the, uh, the best one. And if you notice here, uh, we ask uh, not four, but three questions uh, that on other nights we dip. So the dipping question, and then the chametu masa question, and then the one about basar salik umevushal. What's missing here is a question about maror. On all the nights we have all vegetables, and tonight only maror. It seems that that question actually is redundant, because if you're asking about dipping, the question about dipping is actually a question about maror. Right. On other nights we have we we dip once, and today we dip uh, we dip a second a second time. Uh, so that's referring to the dipping of the of the chametz of of, of the maror. Sorry. Um, okay. So it, it seems that once the, this question was changed to on other nights we don't dip at all, and tonight we dip twice. Right. Once you're asking that, it's not clear. Are you asking about the karpas or about the maror? So a fourth question was introduced specifically about maror. But in the original, there are three questions. And if you notice, the three questions are about Pesach, Matzah, and maror, which at the end of the Haggadah, we say, make sure to say, talk about Pesach, Matzah, and maror. So there's three answers for three questions. Uh, nowadays, we, there's a lot of uh, material added in between. So there's a lot of space between the, and three became four questions. So it's not so clear anymore that what the answers to the questions are, because we asked the four questions, but where do we answer it? Avadim Ayinu, right, explains the story, but doesn't, still doesn't explain why we eat maror, why we eat masa, right, doesn't, doesn't specifically explain that. So um, when you see it in this uh, context, uh, I think it becomes very clear. Okay. So those are the uh, the three becoming four questions. Uh, the father should teach the child according to his level. Um, right? That's very important. That if it's a young child or a medium or a advanced child, uh, everyone should uh, appreciate the story at their level. And but when, however you teach it, you should always follow this formula that you start with the bad and end with the good. Uh, you start with the disgrace of being slaves 
And then you end with the fact that we were uh, freed and with, uh, with praise and thanks to, to um, Borei Olam for uh, redeeming us. And you make a dirasha, you cite interpretations of the of the of the from Pesukim from Adami Obed Abi. That this uh, section comes from uh, Devarim. This is when someone would bring the uh, their their first fruit, the Bikurim. They would say this, and it says in the Mishnah, you should say you should explain the entire paragraph. Now we don't actually explain the entire paragraph. We start here with, you know, my father was a wandering Aramean, and then, you know, we had no home, and we went down to Egypt, and we were tortured, and uh, we cried out, and Hashem took us out with uh, with great miracles. And in the, our current Haggadah, we end with the word bimofetim. But you see that the chapter actually con- the paragraph continues and says, and now Hashem, you brought us to this place, to this uh, to the land of uh, of milk and honey, and you gave me these fruits. So, well, we don't we do not actually fulfill what the Mishnah says today, and the reason is obvious because um, says for the past two thousand years we weren't in Israel and we weren't able to say, and you and now you brought us to this land. So you see that this paragraph itself starts with the bad. The bad here is that we were wandering and had no land. We were in a land uh, where we were enslaved. And now, finally, you brought us to our homeland. So that's Matchil Bignut Umesayim Beshevach. However, uh, since uh, since the exile, we're not able to actually complete the entire chapter. So we end on Ubimof Tim. Okay. And uh, so this Doresh Maravi Ovedavi could be the way that that you fulfill, starting with the bad and ending with the good, because this paragraph is a fulfillment of that. We'll see that by the time of the Talmud, they interpret it as two different things. You should start with bad and end with good. That's one thing. And then after that, you also uh, give a long derasha about these pesukim. Okay, now, if a son is, a wa- is wise, then the son will ask questions. Or if his son is not wise, maybe he's just a baby, then his wife should ask him the questions. If someone's by himself, then he should ask the questions to, to himself and answer them. But you have to have the question and answer for, formula because you have to arouse curiosity, even in yourself, again, every year to rethink it and reappreciate it, not take it for granted. And even if it's two great scholars and they know everything, nevertheless, they pose questions to each other just so that they can raise them and be able to answer them. This is not a direct quote, we're quoting the beginning, and then we're quoting the, uh, the, uh, the, the question about dipping. Matkif la Rava. Rava has a question about this. Atu kol yoma la sega de la metabela chada zimna. Wait a second, is there on every other night, are you saying that we have to dip once? Right, that all the nights we dip once was there uh, some kind of obligation, right? So what does this mean? It means that on other nights we don't have to dip once, and yet on tonight we have an obligation to dip twice. So that that uh, makes it uh, makes it more, more is more sense. But Rav Safra doesn't like that. What do you mean there's an obligation to dip twice tonight? Right? What obligation is there? An obligation for Maror, that's one dipping. The other one for Karpas, we said, the reason is so that children will ask. You can't call that 
that uh, an obligation that you have to do it. It's a custom that we do, but you know, it can't, it's not, you can't say we have to dip twice. So you can't say it's an obligation. No, every other night, we have no obligation to dip once in time. We have an obligation. Rather, he changes the words to, on other nights, we do not dip, not even once, but tonight we dip twice. Not an obligation to, but just the, the uh, this is the practice that we usually do. So you see that um, by the time of Rav Sefra, they weren't used to Roman symposia and they didn't, weren't dipping uh, often. And so they, he changes the question and our Haggadah follows Rav Sefra's emendation. You start with the disgrace and you end with glory. My bignut, what kind of disgrace are you talking about? In the original Haggadah, when this was a reference to the Mikra Bikurim, the paragraph from Devarim, then in that case, the disgrace was we were wandering and now we have a, we have a homeland. But if we're reciting the Haggadah at a time when we do not have a homeland, then you know the, the disgrace has to match the glory. And so we need something that can match and we can't say we brought us to this land if we're in exile. So here, Rav Amar, There's two different opinions. Rav says you should start. The disgrace is that once, once we were idol worshippers, and now finally we, we worship Hashem, we worship monotheism. That's the uh, start with the bad and end with the good, and that you can say even in exile. Shemel says we were once slaves. And now we're free. And that's also true even in exile. Still, we're not physically slaves. Uh, so you see that Rav and Shmuel have two opinions. Rav is em- emphasizing the spiritual slavery. To be slaves of idols means, you know, you have to answer their beck and call and feed them and, um, uh, and uh, follow all kinds of whatever magic that, the, uh, their, that their, uh, their religions would teach. Whereas uh, worshiping Hashem is, uh, is, is good for us. The Torah teaches us morals, how to, be, how to make ourselves better, how to make the world better. So that's, it's, it's, it's uh, completely different. One is spiritual slavery, the other is spiritual freedom. And Shemuel is emphasizing the physical slavery and the physical freedom. So we nowadays actually do both in opposite order. We start with Shemuel, who says, right, first, Avadim Hayinu, and actually that fulfills the levels of this child, because every, every even a little child can understand what it means to be a physical slave and free. And when the child gets a little older, you can explain to them the philosophy behind paganism and monotheism, and then they can appreciate what spiritual freedom means. Um, and then for the even older child, you go into the Derashot and the Pesukim and comparing the Pesukim from Devarim to the other Pesukim in, in Shemot and deriving further lessons from it. So really we have multiple layers within the Haggadah that uh, every child can appreciate. We have a fun story. Rav Nachman told his slave, Daru, says if a master would uh, free his slave and give him gold and silver, what should the slave say? You should know, you're a slave. Oh, that he would thank and praise his master. So he says, oh good, now you, we don't have to say anymore. And run right into Abadim Hayinu. The point is, they had a question and answer, right? And so, and the children were all there and they see, look, the slave right here. And uh, they, uh, with that, aroused their curiosity. And so they were able to pay attention. So, Manishtana is just a way of getting everybody involved. And he, uh, he did get involved in that different way. All right, I hope he and, and uh, did free his slave. Otherwise, it would be kind of like, hey, what if I freed you? What would you say? Well, okay, now go back to work. That would kind of be. Um, 
uh, a, a counter um, counterproductive. But um, anyway, this he was um, must have been a, uh, a, a probably a Jewish slave or a Canaanite slave. Still would have to fulfill the mitzvot. So I'm sure at some point he did in fact sit down himself and enjoy the seder with with along with the family. All right, and now we get to the next Mishnah. Rabban Shimon Haya Omer, Kol Shelo Amal Shelo Shadavrim Elu Pa Pesach Lo Yasai Dechavato. Whoever did not say these three things does not fulfill his obligation. Now, to say doesn't just mean to say the words. To say can also mean to explain, right? To elaborate, to appreciate. And they are Veeluhen Pesach Masa Umaror. And once we say the three, then we explain each one. Pesach Hashem Shepasach Makom Abatei Abotenu BeMisraim. Pesach because God uh, skipped over the homes of the of our forefathers in Egypt, as the pasuk said, and so on. It's called Pesach for that reason. The word Pesach can mean skip over, and uh, however, in this context, it can mean to protect. Uh, it also it also has that same meaning. The word has the meaning protect. So it could be that Hamakom protected. The, uh, the homes of our forefathers uh, from the destructive uh, force, which is a really nicer way to say it, that Hashem was not there destroying, but Hashem was the one protecting us. Okay, you see, if you notice, the pasuk itself is in brackets, and in the manuscript uh, here, there are no pesukim. Uh, it just says, and so on. Uh, so, so the Pisukim are added in after as further explanation. Of course, we have a whole paragraph, including the Pasuk, but the original Mishnah just gave a shorthand. Masa because we were we were uh, redeemed. And uh, they 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 baked it in Egypt and they had no time because they were redeemed in, in such such a rush just to show that redemption can come at the turn of a dime. Uh, you won't even have time, even as long as the persecution is. The redemption can come in just a, in just a few minutes. Maror, uh, Maror, the Kafir manuscript says Merorim in plural, same thing. Al shum she meriru misrim et chayyeh abotenu b'mislam shnemad by meriru et chayyehem because they embittered uh, the lives of our forefathers. We eat bitter herbs. Now those are the three things, and then we add bechol dor v'dor chayab adam lirot et et asma keilu hu yasam b'mislam. Abam says leharot. So in every generation, a person has to see himself. As if he is in Egypt, we say the harot is to show oneself uh, more acting, but lirot is to uh, to self uh, to a uh, self realization that uh, you have to feel that I myself was um, uh, was uh, am in Egypt, uh, kind of feel that pain. You have to tell your children that I, because right, uh, this is what God did for me in Egypt, as if you are telling the story as if you're actually that first generation that was there. So um, even though we're many generations after, we should identify with that first generation and make it not just history, but make it felt in our own memory. And therefore, because Hashem redeemed us, it is our obligation and really the entire Haggadah, all the telling the stories is all to get us up to this point, to get us into the mood um, and, uh, and be excited to really feel that redemption and therefore uh, to thank, praise, glorify, extol, exalt, honor, bless, revere 
and Lod, um, they, you know, they basically found every synonym in Hebrew. And when they were done with all the Hebrew synonyms, they found a Greek one too, because the word lekalis is uh, from the Greek kalos, um, which means to be good or beautiful. And the Greek word turned into a Hebrew verb, lekalis. This is interesting because most of the time our tefillot are in like pure Hebrew, um, but this is uh, one place where you have a Greek word that entered. Okay, and so we have to praise and thank he who did for them, for our forefathers and for us all these miracles, namely, took us from slavery to freedom, from sorrow to joy, from mourning to this holiday, from darkness to great light, from enslavement to redemption, hallelujah, and therefore, we should say hallelujah. But all this is the Mishnah. You see, the Mishnah has the entire structure of the Haggadah. When you say hallelujah, right, the Hallel um, is, uh, is uh, found in Tehillim, is Morim 113 to 118. That's the entire Hallel. So we don't say the entire Hallel here because after all, um, we don't. We didn't have the meal yet, at least in, the, in our order. Uh, and so we leave half of it till the end. Um, but here the Mishnah and in Mishnahic times also, they would not say, they didn't say the entire Hallel. They just wanted to say the main point. So what is the main one, main part of it? Only Psalm 113, only the first Psalm. That's it. says, no, the first two Psalms, the second one is Well, that's, that's the one that's most fitting for this time. Uh, so you don't want to skip the one that says, uh, that talks about actually leaving Egypt. So Betilel makes sense, and that's in fact what we do. Uh, and you should end with a beracha on the theme of redemption. What is the text of that blessing? Just say, you know, thank you, say halal, and then say thank you because you redeemed us and our forefathers from Egypt. But that's it. You don't say a beracha, right? This is not its own... Uh, its own prayer here. It's just a conclusion for the telling of the story. But Rabbi Akiva says, no, you add a whole blessing. Rabbi Akiva Ahmed, Ken, in addition to that, was said before, you add, just as we celebrated this holiday, God should grant us that we should uh, come and celebrate future holidays in peace. And have, have joy over the building of your city, Vesasim, Ba'avodatach, and joyous in the service, in your service in Bet HaMikdash, and we'll eat there from the actual Korban Pesach and from the other, uh, other Zevachim. Uh, see that this is in parentheses. Uh, this must have been you know, in the time of the Bet HaMikdash, they, wouldn't, they would say the Beracha, but you wouldn't say this addition. Um, that one day, we hope one day we'll get back there. We just we would say a nice geula. But uh, after the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed and we have no more Korban Pesach, then it was added in that we pray for the rebuilding and uh, so that we can have the Korban Pesach and others of Achim again. And we end, Hashem Israel. Right? Thank you, Hashem, for uh, redeeming Israel. Okay, that was a long quote from the Mishnah, and now we'll analyze a piece of it. You have to add in, not only that we were slaves, but you have to say that God redeemed us, and even talking about ourselves, um, because uh, after all, if, they, if our forefathers were never redeemed, then we wouldn't be free today. So you got to make sure to add that, so we feel the slavery ourselves, and we also feel the freedom ourselves.
Amadava, again, another statement from Rava, Masa Sarikh Lagbiya, Umaror Sarikh Lagbiya. When you say Masa Zoh, right, this, this Masa, you have to pick it up. And Maror also, you pick it up so that uh, you, you show this is what we're talking about when we recite that paragraph. Basad and Sarikh Ligba, but the meat, we do not need to pick it up. And not only that, you should not pick it up because then if you're saying Pesach Zoh, at a time when we don't have Korban Pesach, that sounds like, it looks like you're designating this as an actual sacrifice, but there's no better mintash. So now, and we're not in Jerusalem, so now you're eating uh, holy meat outside. So therefore, we should not think of the shank bone that we have as an actual sacrifice. And therefore, we don't pick anything up when we say um, Pesach Zo. Okay, nowadays our custom is not to pick everything up, but to point to the first two and not point to the meat. So someone who is blind has no obligation to recite the Haggadah. Why? Because regarding the Haggadah, it says, so this is interpreted as because of this, meaning the, the Masa and the Maror and the Pesach, that is in front of us because of these things, that's why Hashem took us out. Um, uh, because of the ideas that are represented in these things, Hashem took us out. It's not the Peshat of the Pasuk. The Peshat of the Pasuk is the word Zeh could also mean Asher. Because of that which Hashem took, uh, uh, did for us in Egypt, uh, you know, therefore we do all these, we do all the mitzvot. Um, but here it's the opposite. We, because of the mitzvot, Hashem took us out of, out of Mitzrayim which is a very beautiful derasha. But anyway, um, since it says the word zeh, and in another place it says the word zeh, regarding the ben sorer more the rebellious son, the parents bring the rebellious son to the court, and they say, benenu zeh, this child here, this our child, um, so they have to point to the child and, said, and say, this boy here, right, he does, uh, he does all kinds of bad things. We need you to take care of him. Um, so, and the midrash over there says, uh, a blind, a blind, par- blind parents cannot bring their son to be a rebellious elder because they can't point to him because they can't see him. And so they can't say this is our child. And so just the, the same way, a blind person cannot uh, look at the Masai Maror and say because of this, and therefore they are not obligated in reciting the Haggadah. That's what Rav Acha said. However, we have a contradiction. Ini, v'amar maramar, rabbanan rav Yosef. We asked the rabbis, the students who studied with Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef was blind. And then we asked them, who said, who said that the Haggadah? The word Agadah is the same as Haggadah. Agadah is Aramaic. Haggadah is uh, Hebrew. So who said it in the house of Rav Yosef? Right? And as we said yesterday, usually the head of the household would recite the entire Haggadah and everybody would follow along. So who said in his household? Amru, Rav Yosef, he did it himself, even though he was blind. Manda, Manda, Amar Agadah Be'Rav Sheshat. Rav Sheshat also became blind. Who said in his house? Amru, Rav Sheshat, he did it himself, even though he was blind. So there you go. So blind people can recite the Haggadah. So this uh, contradicts what Avacha said before, that a blind person need not recite Haggadah, and if he need not, he's not chayav, he can't, he can't fulfill the commandment for other people who are going to follow along with him. So, okay, maybe uh, the sages, the, these sages over here think that 
eating masah today is only dirabanan, because it's only a misvah mid dirabanan. So these rabbis, even though they're not chayavim, so no, but no one is chayav mid oraita to have the masah. And so therefore they also can say, you know, this matzah, because they mid are on the same level as everybody else. And so that's why they thought that it's dirabanan. But Rabacha thought that eating matzah is deoraita. If you think it's deoraita, then they're on different levels. Then the blind person cannot say it for a seeing person. Um, so that's one possibility. Okay. What? So that means Rabacha thinks it is deoraita. But he was one of the opinions that said explicitly he thinks matzah is derabanan. So it doesn't make sense that he would be the one to say that uh, a blind person cannot do it, he should say a blind person can, because he agrees that midoraita, the blind person, not blind person, are on the same level. So that can't be the answer. Kasavad, rather, calls the takun rabbanan ke'ayin deoraita takutikun. Rabacha must think that even though masa is rabbanan, whenever the rabbis, even the rabbis say, okay, but you must eat masa, and you must say these words about them, whenever the rabbis institute a, uh, a takana, they institute it in a way that is like the Torah. So even though it's only Torah law, just like if it was a Torah law, blind people would not be able to say, point to this and say it. So, so too, even with Torah it's still within the same category and will still exclude blind people. And that's what Abacha thought. Okay, if so, Rav Shashat Rav Yosef were themselves blind and they did recite Haggadah, don't they agree? Right with uh, with that with that with that uh, general statement that whenever the rabbis make an, an institution, they make it like the oraita, and so therefore blind people should be excluded. Wait, is that the same? That's not the same. So now we go back and reject the original uh, uh, the original comparison with the uh, with the rebellious uh, son. Over there, it said it could have pasuk could have said benenu hu that that he is our son, uh, and 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 uh, and then and then it would have referred to just identifying the the child, and it didn't say who uchti benenu ze shema Since the pasuk goes out of its way to say ze instead of who, so it's showing that it has to be have the ability to point to him and see him, and therefore a blind parent cannot bring uh, their their child. To be a ben more. that would fit with in general. If you look in the context there, or this, uh, there's a, a dozen different exclusions for ben more, right? The father and mother have to look exactly the same and sound exactly the same and all that. So this is just another way of making sure that ben more will never apply. Uh, so that's what we're talking about there. But that we don't, we shouldn't apply that interpretation of ze in this case. But if you didn't have my you want to say because of this. So what, what else could it write? There's not there's no no other way to say it. So rather it's clear here, it's talking about masa and maror, and therefore there's no need to pick it up or point or see it. And that's why even a blind person is obligated to recite the Haggadah. And that's why Rav Yosef and Rav Sheshat, even though they were blind, they led the Haggadah in their households. Baruch Adonai Lola, Amen ve